I want to read a few paragraphs from the Catechism of the Catholic Church that my friend Dan sent me the other day on the respect for the integrity of creation, 2415. The Seventh Commandment enjoys respect for the integrity of creation. Animals like plants and inanimate beings are by nature destined for the common good of past, present, and future humanity. Use of the mineral, vegetable, and animal resources of the universe cannot be divorced from respect for moral imperatives. Man's dominion over inanimate and other living beings, granted by the Creator, is not absolute. It is limited by concern for the quality of life of his neighbor, including generations to come. It requires a religious respect for the integrity of creation. Animals are God's creatures. He surrounds them with his providential care. By their mere existence, they bless him and give him glory. Thus, men owe them kindness. We should recall the gentleness with which saints like St. Francis of Assisi or St. Philip Neri treated animals. God entrusted animals to the stewardship of those whom he created in his own image. Hence, it is legitimate to use animals for food and clothing. They may be domesticated to help man in his work and leisure. Medical and scientific experimentation on animals is a morally acceptable practice if it remains within reasonable limits and contributes to caring for or saving human lives. It is contrary to human dignity to cause animals to suffer or die needlessly. It is likewise unworthy to spend money on them that should, as a priority, go to the relief of human misery. One can love animals. One should not direct to them the affections due only to persons. You may wonder why I'm reading Catholic texts on this very secular podcast about dog training. Well, a couple weeks ago, the Pope was speaking about St. Joseph, Jesus's father, or adoptive, or foster father, and uh, the talk went in an interesting direction. He said, to bring a child into the world is not enough to say that one is also their father or mother. Fathers are not born but made. A man does not become a father simply by bringing a child into the world, but by taking up the responsibility to care for that child. Whenever a man accepts responsibility for the life of another, in some way he becomes a father to that person. I think particularly of all those who are open to welcoming life by way of adoption, which is such a generous and beautiful, good attitude. Joseph shows us that this kind of bond is not secondary. It is not second best. This kind of choice is among the highest forms of love and of fatherhood and motherhood. How many children in the world are waiting for someone to take care of them? And how many married couples want to be fathers and mothers, but are unable to do so for biological reasons, or although they already have children, they want to share their family's affection with those who do not have it. We should not be afraid to choose a path of adoption to take the risk of welcoming. And today, even with orphanhood, there is a certain selfishness. The other day, I spoke about the demographic winter that exists nowadays. People do not want to have children, or just one and no more. And many couples do not have children because they do not want to, or they have just one because they do not want any more, 
but they have two dogs, two cats. Yes, dogs and cats take the place of children. Yes, it is funny, I understand, but it, it, is, the, it is the reality. And this denial of fatherhood or motherhood diminishes us. It takes away our humanity, and in this way, civilization becomes more aged and without humanity because it loses the richness of fatherhood and motherhood. And our homeland suffers as it does not have children, and as someone said somewhat humorously, and now that there are no children, who will pay the taxes for my pension? Who will take care of me? He laughed, but it is the truth. I ask of St. Joseph the grace to awaken consciences and to think about this, about having children. Fatherhood and motherhood are the fullness of the life of a person. Think about this. It is true there is the spiritual fatherhood of those who consecrate themselves to God and spiritual motherhood, but those who live in the world and get married have to think about having children, of giving life, because they will be the ones to shut their eyes who will think about the future. And also, if you cannot have children, think about adoption. It is a risk Yes, having a child is always a risk, either naturally or by adoption, but it is riskier not to have them. It is riskier to deny fatherhood or to deny motherhood, to be, uh, be it real or spiritual. A man or a woman who do not voluntarily develop a sense of fatherhood or motherhood are lacking something fundamental, something important. Think about this, please. Now, these words of the Pope have been uh, put all around the internet saying, basically, clearly the Pope hates pets, and plenty of people have pointed out that uh, it sort of feels like hypocrisy to be using such florid language about the beauty of adoption when the church does not allow same-sex couples to adopt and to be extolling the virtues of parenthood when priests themselves, and the Pope of course, <laughs> do not have children themselves. I was curious to read the full catechesis that he gave. What I just read was most of it after having read bits and pieces here and there in the last couple weeks and was interested uh, to see that it really seemed to me like it was about how we can grow as people by welcoming family members into our lives that are not necessarily blood relatives but he is saying that that excludes any non-human animal that we may welcome into our family which i personally disagree with i tend to not refer to dogs as fur babies i don't think they are children I think it's a different kind of relationship, but the love you feel towards a pet is real and precious and I think should be honored by others, even if they can't quite understand it. And I do know plenty of people who have chosen to not have children for any number of reasons but have still been able to benefit from all the joy that comes with opening up their hearts and their homes to adopted members of the family who are not human. Now, does it irritate me that the Pope does not seem to smile on people loving pets or spending money 
and time and resources on pets that he thinks should be spent on children instead? Mm, not really. I mean, partially, I suppose, because I'm not Catholic, but also because I think that even if you are Catholic, there's a lot of picking and choosing that seems to go on about what you may or may not choose to agree with or believe. This did not seem like some kind of mandate. He was saying no one can have pets. It was his opinion, and yes, he is the Pope, but I don't think he's saying that if you have a dog, you are not a good Catholic, and a lot of religion is like this. I mean, I'm Jewish, but I almost never go to synagogue, and I am pretty against circumcision, for instance, but I don't think if I had an uncircumcised boy baby that I would be any less Jewish. I may have, uh, however, disappointed some people in my family. Anyway, religion is not something I really know that much about as a whole. And Catholicism in particular is a religion that I have had many questions about through the years. A lot of things in Catholicism that honestly never made that much sense to me, but it seemed like they made sense to a whole lot of other people. And in the last few years, I've actually had a lot of opportunities to ask really smart Catholics about some parts of Catholicism that I never understood. The reason for this is my husband runs a company, a nonprofit called Paideia, and they support people who are working to learn ancient languages, specifically ancient Greek and Latin. It's interesting because I actually think there are so many parallels in the two businesses we run in that they're both about um, teaching people about this thing that we're so passionate about, but specifically trying to teach using positive reinforcement. Something like Latin uh, is um, something that I think traditionally a lot of people have learned in school because they have to learn it. If they don't learn it, something bad will happen. Broadly speaking, it's been something that's been taught, I would say, by negative reinforcement. And outside of school, most people have not been hugely uh, incentivized to learn these ancient languages because they're not languages that are going to help you put food on the table in most cases or allow you to travel with ease or converse with new people and the opportunities to make new connections and travel and work etc are uh, reasons why so much language learning at least uh, language learning beyond school where it's about you know getting good grades there are lots of ways in which learning modern spoken languages are positively reinforced uh, and what Jason and Paideia 
have done is actually try to make it more positively reinforcing to learn these dead languages by encouraging people to speak these dead languages as if they were living languages which has made for opportunities um, for people to connect with each other in lots of different ways and he also runs travel programs to Italy and France and Greece among other places in order to bring some of that joy of traveling to uh, the task of learning a new language which again I think makes the whole task of learning the language a lot more positively reinforcing and enticing and exciting so there's so many interesting parallels I think between what it is that I do and what he does anyway it's on some of these trips where I've met incredibly intelligent Catholic people and I've learned a lot I had the chance to meet the Pope's astronomer who explained to me that it was actually a Catholic priest who first came up with the idea of the Big Bang Theory and I've also made friends with some devout Catholics who have occasionally put up with me quizzing them on things that seem totally confusing to me. Like, do you really think that you're eating the body of Christ when you're eating the Eucharist? Do you think that Joseph and Mary really didn't have sex? And they have all been so tolerant of my questions and have given me lots of time and thoughtful answers. And while I think there's still a lot about Catholicism that uh, I don't get, I think I am more appreciative uh, of how nuanced a world it is. When I saw this kerfuffle happening on the internet about the Pope's words a couple weeks ago, I thought, wow, I would really love to talk to some of my super intelligent Catholic friends what they think of uh, of the Pope's thoughts on pets. And I realized there was probably no better person to talk to than Dan Gallagher. Dan and his wife Mary, who live in Ithaca, are uh, some of my favorite people in the Paideia community. And Dan, I figured, probably has a more subtle read on the Pope's thinking than anyone else, since Dan actually worked for the Pope. Everything the Pope says gets translated into many, many languages, one of them being Latin. And for several years, Dan was the person at the Vatican in charge of translating the Pope's words into Latin. So I gave him a call to hear his thoughts on the Pope and pets. Hello. Hey, Dan, how are you? Good, Andy, how are you? Good. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk. Um, My pleasure. It's a a great topic. Maybe we can get started. You can just sort of introduce yourself and your your background, uh, I guess, in (laughs) call it your background in Catholicism. Sure. So I grew up a Catholic 
And during college, I decided to pursue seminary studies to become a Catholic priest. And I was ordained a Catholic priest after um, a long and arduous four years of post post uh, undergraduate studies, and um, served for a priest for about twenty years. Um, after which time, I asked for a dispensation. Uh, in other words, that I had realized I um, really had made a mistake in thinking that my life was meant to be uh, as a celibate. Um, and uh, with the Pope's permission, um, entered into marriage and have children and currently teach classics at Cornell University. Um, but my background as a Catholic is also formed by some direct experience in working at the Vatican, both for Pope Benedict XVI and for Pope Francis, and uh, getting to know them a bit and working on their personal secretarial staff, uh, both in the English language and in the Latin language. So, um, so it gave me some insights into... Um, not only the way the Vatican works, but the way the popes express themselves when they're um, trying to convey or, ex- let's say, expand upon a an article of Catholic faith or some point of Catholic teaching or something like that. So um, I should add to that that it gave me an insight into how easily, just like everything else in the world, um, something can spin out of control once it's left the Pope's mouth. And uh, and I saw many examples of this. And even now, having left that work, I realize that um, uh, I'm kind of privileged with a certain insight when I do see something that, um, so to speak, spins out of control once it's out of the Pope's mouth. Yeah, so I'm a practicing Catholic um, and uh, in the married state, but uh, a, a former cleric, meaning uh, uh, a former active priest, uh, as well, and and not a pet owner, we should say. <laughs> yeah, I grew up with pets. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, uh, dogs. Uh, love cats and dogs. Currently, we, we we would love to have a cat or dog or both, uh, but feel that the kids just need another year or so. So we bred cocker spaniels when I was growing up, um, and I love that. I have very fond memories of the litters that. Uh, that we bred, um, purebred, and uh, I should add to that, it really gave me an appreciation for the care it takes, I mean, obviously for pets, but especially when you are um, attempting to breed uh, dogs and and to purebreed dogs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But uh, that was such a fantastic experience. Uh, Probably my most formative experience I can think of you know, especially the day that the pups were born um, and then the care that it took for the whole family to raise them. So the Pope, what he said was, and I'm I'm just pulling out a couple quotes here. He said, today we see a form of selfishness. We see that some people do not want to have a child. Uh, sometimes they have one and that's it, but they have dogs and cats that take the place of children. And... Uh, what what is your what was your immediate thought hearing yeah hearing so this? i saw yeah i saw that news when it came out and i had a couple of thoughts initially one is that um uh, having worked for the pope and having known uh, and knowing him um he uh he's kind of it, it's a bit of a, a, 
part of maybe an Argentine character that he's um, um, when he gets on something he wants to say, he just says it without any, let's say, kind of sugarcoating or or crafting. It just comes out uh, very kind of matter of fact and, and frank. Um, so that was the first thing that came to mind. The second thing that came to mind was that I, um, for people who were to see what, read what he said or to hear what he said, and they didn't have a context in which to place it, they might um, fail to recognize he's speaking of extreme cases. So he's not by any means stating something that's kind of a general teaching of the Catholic Church. In, lack, in fact, um, the overwhelming weight of what's available for people to digest and to learn about Catholic teaching is very positive about domestic animals and animals in general, creation and all of that. Um, so without that, without one knowing that context, they might think that what he's primarily stating and saying those words is something about animals or pets, whereas what he has in mind is a very extreme case. In other words, someone who, let's say, um, uses animals and pets as substitutions for children. Now, of course, that excludes people who, of course, maybe they don't have children at home, maybe they don't intend to have children, maybe they're elderly and they need a pet. All of those things, the Pope would be the first one to say, by all means, um, animals are a gift from God. They're wonderful companions, and that should be encouraged and fostered. So um, so that has to be acknowledged as well. Um, but, uh, but he does have this extreme kind of case in mind. Now, how we, like, pick apart, if, if we were, you know, if various people were to sit down and say, okay, can we agree on what an extreme case would be? That would be harder, right? Because some people probably have greater insights into both the psychology of human beings and their desire for children, their ability to have children, and so on. And other people would have insights into pets and, of course, the wonderful things that they could do, and so on. But uh, his main point, and maybe, as they say, it's, it's his way of speaking sometimes. It's kind of like um, it's very raw, and it comes out very raw. And sometimes it's with a wry sense of humor as well. And I do think there is a sense of humor in this as well. In other words, that we have to take it, you know, that, that he was not saying it with any kind of bitterness, but in, in a semi-humorous way. Now, maybe we don't appreciate that sense of humor. I don't think it's right for him to use this example as something humorous. But nevertheless, that's probably what he intended, is semi-humorously. Huh. Um, okay. But um, the uh, if I could just add that the um, it also has to be put into the context of the overall teaching of, so to speak, nature as an integral whole. In other words, that according to Catholic belief, and I think most Christians believe, there's sort of a hierarchy to creation. So there's creation as a whole, and each part of creation has its part to play, which is extremely important. But there is a hierarchical kind of ordering in that according to Catholic teaching, that it's the human being that God created specifically in God's own image. So, in other words, endowed with basically reason and free will. So, one way to put that in a philosophical way that I think most people can understand is that human beings are 
constituted as moral creatures. You know, we choose right and wrong. We do things that are um, wonderfully good, but then also um, uh, shockingly evil. And in a way that, and again, I'm expressing Catholic belief, that the rest of creation is not endowed with that capability. Even, you know, higher animals, so to speak, that they don't have that developed uh, moral sense um, now some could argue that perhaps there is a limited type of you know moral sense especially in primates and things like that but let's just say that even that's true what we really recognize I think empirically is that human beings um, have been endowed with this incredible difference with respect to other animals and other creatures uh, and for that reason and again this is uh, putting it back into what the context of what the Pope said that said it's difficult for us to live with one another as human beings because we are capable of such terribly, you know, mean and cruel acts, right? Mm. Um, and it's hard to get along, whereas it's easier to get along with it, with the rest of creation in a way. And what's wonderful about that is because God created, in fact, this is official Catholic teaching, is that let's say, let's just take a specific animal like dogs and cats, um, we can think of other domesticated animals too, pets, but stick dog, dogs and cats. That the Catholic Church teaches that the only their very existence gives God praise. So they don't have to choose, you know, to do what's right or wrong. Like if they pee on the carpet, okay, I mean that's not a good thing, and we teach them not to do that, maybe. You know, they're not morally choosing. And so in a way, uh, their their very existence, the very fact that they exist gives glory to God. They don't need to do anything more. Hmm. Now, human beings give glory to God just by their very existence. It's true. But, you know, the way that human beings, because of this special gift of intelligence and will, give glory to God is actually by choosing, you know, to do good things. Um, and what's sad is that we can also not choose to do this good things, choose to do bad things or be indifferent uh, in ways that you know other animals do not. So, even though there's a hierarchical ordering of animals and within nature and within basically within creation, um, there's a, this is hierarchical kind of ordering of the various parts of creation. Um, uh, animals have uh, it, it, an easier time of this. I mean, <laughs> it, it's a lot easier for them because they 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 just give glory to God. St. Francis of Assisi and their other saints. St. Francis of Assisi is a super example of this. He wrote these canticles, like the Canticle of the Sun of these songs, just admiring how animals, just by their very existence, they just glorify God. And then they cause us to glorify God. So by seeing animals, by seeing the marvels that they can do, I mean, their, even their, you know, their intelligence, their, 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 their ingenuity, I don't know, their, their, their beauty just their sheer beauty it helps us to give glory to god and from that point of view um they're absolutely necessary for human beings in order to understand who god is because then we understand that god endowed the world with these incredible creatures so human beings are complicated creatures and what francis is basically saying is that listen if okay this is the extreme case if you're trying to avoid the murky you know the 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 day-to-day um sadnesses and joys and struggles and sorrows of being a parent um and you would rather you know not engage in that challenge of developing yourself you know and and 
what you do is you, you know, kind of like substitute that with other animals. Then maybe there's something to balance, right? Maybe you are popping out of embarking upon the human adventure of learning what it means to love another human being, you know, in certain ways. So, yeah, that's about all I can say. So I would say that the important thing to keep in mind is what came out of the press with these recent recent things. He, he has a, he has very extreme and probably very limited cases in mind. Um, well, I I, of, I think as a dog, as a dog trainer and someone who lives among people who, in some cases, I think are making the choice to call it be a parent to a pet rather than to people. But it, two things that have come to mind based on what you're saying and what I, I understand, I think, of what he was saying. One is that, and at least this is my point of view, again, as someone who has worked with people who have dogs who have issues, sometimes it can be much harder to deal with a pet rather than a person because with other people, we have a common language. We have basically the same needs and when we're living with pets we're living with animals that don't have our language don't have our needs and live shorter lives usually which is um which is its own struggle i mean there's certainly people who choose to not have pets because they don't want to have to deal with their pet dying which you know in in most cases fortunately hopefully we we don't have to deal with uh with our the death of our own children yeah. we, we hope to not right. deal with it that actually sheds light i think on the integrity of what the church is viewing as far as creation so in other words <clears throat> that's a very good example of ways in which that learning experience let's just take the lifespan right that we have to grieve over um over over pets in a way you know in, in a shorter time span if that helps us to become more integral human beings and say allows us to grieve suffering humanity as well you know, mm-hmm. um, learn how to grieve the loss of, let's say, maybe your mother or father that we didn't have a good relationship with, you know, then, then that shows the integrity of it. In other words, there's, it's kind of a circular dialectical relationship with the animals that we have that make us deeper human beings and relate to human beings in another way. So what you just said, I think, is also accords very well with that kind of integral view and what I, what the Pope, what Pope Benedict XVI called a, an ecology, so an ecology of creation. In other words, that the way we live in harmony with creation. If we learn things from animals, and if we suffer because of having to care for animal in a way that we would suffer, you know, um, more than if we were even caring for a son or daughter or whatever, then that makes us a better human being, and, and we we can turn to our fellow human beings, hopefully in a deeper way, in a more meaningful way by that experience with with our pets, with our own pets. But what about the fact that we are animals, though? That that it's... I mean, and I, 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 mean, I think this is a, an uncomfortable place that I've gotten to in conversations with people uh, who are religious, not just Catholic. I mean, human exceptionalism is understandable, and yet we, we share, you know nearly 4 billion years of evolution with all the other animals that exist right now. Yeah, that also um, accords well with the kind of ecology of creation. Um, in other words, the sense that um, uh, those who believe in God 
that God created each one of these animals, including you and me and all human beings, with a plan in mind, and that there is something shared. So uh, it's interesting, and you used a very interesting word, exceptionalism. Uh, this would be a word, I don't know about other Christians, but Catholics would uh, reject this word, because it's never used in Catholic teaching. It is true that the Catholic Church teaches that there is something about the immortality of the human soul that makes the human being a special kind of animal, um, but it doesn't deny the animality of a human being. And in fact, much of the of church teaching um, emphasizes the common animality of human beings with the rest of animate beings, with the rest of animals. Um, personally, aside from my Catholic faith, um, I view this as a way in which I do relate to animals and pets that, that I've had, that it's sort of almost like subconscious, but you know you're both animals. You know, you can you can meet the eyes of your of your dog, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. And they're being communicated. But that that is at the basis of, you know, at, at being common, <laughs> coming coming from the same place. And coming from the same place, evolutionary, yes, so to speak. But even coming from the same place for those who believe in God is that, you know, like our pets are no less creations than than human beings are. Um, so I, I think the Catholic Church embraces that commonality. I, I and, thought the Catholic Church came at it more from a kind of, uh, from more of like the Rene Descartes point of view of they're just um, fancy machines. Yeah. Or if, have, have, has the Catholic Church moved away from that? Yeah, and I mean, uh, I, Descartes had a lot of, even though he died a very faithful Catholic, interestingly, um, but uh, Descartes, um, he had a lot of beliefs that really he did either, well, he didn't get from Catholicism and really don't accord with Catholicism. The automaton thing, animals, is, is not something shared by the church. Um, and the church, actually, even what he taught that was not... Yeah, it, 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 there, there may have been Catholics who philosophically would have kind of explained the difference between, um, you know, human beings and animals in this kind of way. And Descartes would be one that would do that. He has a mechanistic view of the, I mean, in a, in a sense of the human person as well, the relationship between the soul and the body and everything, which was also really not very Catholic. But hmm. I don't, even the Catholic Church has moved away from it because I don't think the Catholic Church has ever really kind of you know, um, uh, embraced or even perpetuated kind of this, the automaton kind of view of animals. But, but that said, in a different kind of realm, and this is where it gets very interesting, um, the Catholic Church doesn't say explicitly um, what the place and role of animals, let's get, let's again, just take common house um, pets like, cats and dogs we can include other animals what happens to them after this life in other words what heaven is like mm-hmm. so where and the church doesn't have anything explicit to say on this uh, there are things we can infer by knowing that human beings have a soul that makes them very special and different from cats and dogs but um, there have been different kinds of declarations you know non-doctrinal so to speak about what heaven will be like now again saint francis uh it's easy one of the most maybe the most famous saint uh, aside from mary the catholic tradition 
uh, just uh, just extolled the place of animals to the point that it would almost be impossible to think that in his own mind, you know, animals didn't have a special place in eternal life for their life to come. Now, I remember too, in working for Pope Francis, and more than once, it came out once in the press, I think, but when he was asked particularly by children uh, who had lost a pet and were grieving over that, um, uh, I, I don't hesitate to say, because I heard it from his own mouth, that he would console them by saying that they would be reunited with him in heaven. Now, hmm. he wasn't speaking, so to speak, you know, official Catholic doctrine and saying that, but he wasn't speaking against any official teaching of that, because the church doesn't really have a developed teaching um, about what heaven, you know, will be like as far as the place of animals in, in heaven to come. Um, but personally, um, I joined the camp of, again, faithful Catholics who um, believe that all creation has some kind of a place in, you know, in the, in the world to come. And that uh, I, I don't find it to be far-fetched to, for any Catholic to believe that part of our happiness will involve a, so to speak, a, well, almost a recreation of all of creation, including animals and pets that we've loved who have passed on. I like that idea. <laughs> I like it too. I mean, I, uh, let me just share one personal anecdote that was kind of interesting. My, um, after I was ordained a priest, my very first day, very first day in the parish, so the church where I was assigned, is connected to the church is connected to the school so so the principal is all distraught and comes down and asks if i can come down because the gerbil of the kindergartners just died and they were distraught obviously their pet gerbil you know in the classroom mm -hmm. I escaped from the cage and you know got somewhere where where it shouldn't have been i was attacked mm -hmm. it was it was it was lifeless so I throw on my cassock and we, I ran down there and everybody, including the teacher, is bawling in tears <laughs> because the children are. So we um, very carefully constructed kind of a makeshift casket and we had a, a beautiful ceremony. And here I am, a newly ordained priest, you know, <laughs> the last I expected to do on my first day of the job. Um, and, and I just prayed. Um, I, I prayed for inspiration, you know, for, for something to pray. And, and the words came out. I don't remember what they were. Um, but I do remember one thing. Whatever the words were, I I focused on what a blessing uh, this hamster was um, to these children and to this classroom, you know, and that we could never forget that. And we had to remember that. So we had to um, memorialize this hamster with a prop proper burial but also a proper like um marker and we made a makeshift marker and then the children uh came back out after they had um uh, uh used some cardboard to write messages of thanks and all this stuff so there was a ritualistic kind of part to the grieving um that i thought was very appropriate um and whatever one would think about you know how the the, the christianity's kind of thoughts and ideas about animals there it came really home to myself and my parents and for all those children everybody that this was a, a blessing you know 
for which we could we could never give enough thanks to God, you know. And if we could use that for even our own pets, that um, I mean, the enormous blessing that they are in our lives uh, is is something that is just you know causes me to just marvel. Like, what did we do to deserve this kind of gift? Mm. You know, what is a really good pet too? Like, I just and I've had good pets. You know, you just feel I am so unworthy of this you know fidelity whatever it is uh, yeah uh, the catholic church is well known for praising procreation because (laughs) um and uh so i i can understand uh as little as i know about catholicism that the pope would want people out there making babies rather than um you know fur babies I, I hate that term that some people use actually because i yeah. feel like it like yeah. pets are not our babies um anyway uh but i i can understand that that could be an impetus like hey don't give uh don't why why are you devoting your your life and your energies to a pet rather than having children go forth and have children but then I think isn't as a whole though isn't isn't the population kind of out of control like shouldn't we be not encouraging I mean I, it gets into larger issues right about like contraception and abortion and all kinds of other things but I sure. I, I of course feel like the only people who should have children are the people who want to have children and people who would rather have a pet than a child like hey go you because that's one fewer car on the road one one you know few more trees that aren't going to be turned into toilet paper etc right. etc right. yeah and and, and, and fewer children in homes that where somebody would rather have a multi-poo than a kid like let them have the the dog and yeah yeah i think you you put on several good things there and i think it is true well first of all that yeah the whole thing about uh, let's say world population all that i uh, that we kind of leave to, you know, I mean, scientists to debate and that is a lot of debate. So, so, but I understand, I mean, that is a good thing for us to consider, but let, let's actually, so let's marginalize that or put that to the side and think about like what you've just said, which is an extremely important point that some people, um, simply don't want to, you know, don't, uh, uh, have children or maybe they wouldn't make the best parents anyway, you know, for whatever reason. So, so shouldn't it be that, it's this act of charity, right? To, um, to to refrain from having children, and I think that's okay. In fact, the, re- the responsible parenthood, or responsibly choosing not to be a parent, uh, a parent, uh, would be supported by the church if they're for the right reasons, you know, kind of thing. Uh, if they are for the right reasons, so the church doesn't necessarily kind of like promote. So it's it's not so much that the church, the Catholic Church is out to like promote procreation at you know um i mean no cost or whatever or every cost i suppose you know in other words that that's an end in itself it's it's more that um that people should encouraging people to very carefully deliberate upon what it means to be a parent and have children and to not have misconceptions about what it means to be a parent in other words that if there's if this if there is this fear of um, taking on a responsibility that that might be repl- misplaced, right? But again, if it is a, if there's a legitimate reason 
for which even a married couple decides that they should not, um, you know, uh, be they should not have children at a certain point in time, or maybe for forever, for whatever reasons, medical reasons or whatever. Um, the church would support that. The church would, and it would not, you know, in any way make that couple feel as if they're making the wrong choice or are not fully living a fruitful married life as a couple without children. And that couple, I think, would be like the perfect couple if they like animals that they should then like have lots of them, you know, in order to make themselves happy. So again, these are kind of like um, special cases. And uh, but it, as a general, you know, kind of thing. Um, if, if, if there's a, a trend in, for people to you know, avoid, so to speak, having children, uh, uh, let's say placing a respect on other elements of creation, it really is more due to that element of creation, namely human, be- human beings who are, who are created in this unique, special way, destined for a kind of eternal life that makes them special and different from the rest of creation. So if... if that, that's when it becomes problematic, in other words, when other, at least in the church's eyes, when there's a dignity, a uniqueness um, that is, that should be the uniqueness of human beings that's being placed on other elements of creation, maybe not just even animals, but, um, I mean, plant life or um, uh, goods, you know, like food or things like that. So things that can become addictive even, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a misplaced, so to speak, desire um, that the church is concerned about, and 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 that misplacing can occur when it comes to relating with animals. At least in Francis's mind, when he said what he said recently. So, do you think it's possible that the next pope could turn around and say, uh, "Go, go, have as many pets as you want to have"? I mean, Abs- it- yeah, absolutely. I, I think that uh, it's a very good question, and it does come down to a little bit that what the Pope says reflects his own his own personal tastes which have little to do with being Pope or Catholic or Christian or whatever and he, he loves he does love I would say he loves animals as far as I remember he's never had a pet and he has no interest in a pet it, it's just not his you know um, nature so to speak I mean you know, his character that he enjoys that Pope Benedict XVI his predecessor on and off had cats he loved cats. He's still alive, and he loved cat. He loves cats. He goes out to the garden, the Vatican Gardens, uh, or he was uh, until fairly recent times, to just actually just spend time with them. He actually kind of more liked cats, but not having them like in the house so much. You know, is his kind of preference. But he loved them. But what I'm saying is, yes, the ex pope could come and say something very different, and might not reflect so much. Well, it won't reflect any change in Catholic teaching. It might reflect to a good extent, his own personal preference because he's a dog lover or a cat lover or whatever. Mm-hmm. We've had some popes who are, you know, who are pet owners and pet lovers. I have directly observed Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, Pope Emeritus, mm-hmm. Pope Emeritus interacting with cats. Mm-hmm. It's, extreme, it's extremely touching um, because they love him. And when he comes walking, you know, they come running. Uh, I, I saw that. The tenderness you know, you would see in this man. And he was a very tender man, too, despite kind of a public image of being, you know, what do they call him? You know, God's Rottweiler or whatever. He's an extremely tender um, person and very simple, extremely simple in his tastes. And uh, 
part of that that simplicity was revealed the way that you know he would just interact with with cats um you know, mostly again were not his own uh there were times i remember the times that i do remember were mostly him not having a house cat in, mm-hmm. in, in the, but he did you know there were times in his life where where he did you know? so he had lots of cats to to interact with and uh and they knew him you know and they would know his tenderness towards them it was really really astounding to to see that um i mean what left in my heart was this sense of when it comes to animals even those that are not our ours they just like bring us back to you know a genuinely who we are they bring us back i think to honesty to simplicity you know our our problems seem you know so overwhelming at times and how little it takes to just put all those problems in perspective and I saw that with him, I mean, bearing the weight of the church on his shoulders and to not allow that weight on his shoulders to prevent him from, you know, several moments of enjoying God's creation through through cats was quite a lesson for me. So it sounds like for those who are upset that the Pope said this, you sounds like what you would say was would be this is not necessarily... Um, the point of view of all Catholicism, even if these are the words that left the Pope's mouth, he is speaking in extremes and uh, suggesting that people not shy away from difficult relationships, uh, which I guess you could say is a denial of the fact that there can be difficult interspecies relationships as well, but but does that sound like a, a good summation yeah. of what you're saying? Oh, that's a really good summary. Um, I mean, you summarized it very well. I would say, I would add to this, uh, add to it just this, that someone could be a perfectly good Catholic and completely disagree with what the Pope said. Mm-hmm. In other words, one could, one could basically say that such people, you know, there, are, there aren't those extremes, you know, that everyone, I mean, in other words, you could be a good Catholic and say, well, I, you know, I think that everyone who has a healthy relationship with pets, uh, that, uh, let's say none of them are are substituting children with that. In other words, that they, they have good intentions. And so the Pope was more speaking a personal opinion, but mm-hmm. he, one that he holds very firmly mm-hmm. about a phenomenon, namely that there are people who do substitute children with, with pets and, and maybe do so in a very imbalanced way. But that is his opinion. One could hold a different opinion, and still hold the same Catholic faith that he does and, you know, submit themselves to his authority. Right, <laughs> and okay. completely agree with him. You can sit down at a table and say, you know, I don't think what you just said that the general audience was is very correct. And mm-hmm. you, would, you, wouldn't be, you wouldn't be challenging anything that's officially church doctrine at all. That's why I wanted to emphasize as we, in our conversation that the, the teaching, the official teaching is very positive and very, you know, much different than what he said at that specific general audience. Much more positive about the integral and indisputable value of nature and particularly animals as God's creatures uh, in giving him glory. So the the quote that I would say from the catechism is, is, quote, by their mere existence, animals bless God and give God glory. So... Well, this has been really interesting. Thank you so much for 
for talking with me and for putting up with my ignorance about Christianity as a whole and Catholicism oh, in particular. Um, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. And it, it, it helps me to think through it too, because um, I think every good Catholic has to revisit these issues. And if the Catholic faith or anybody's Christian, any faith that one has, if it's so, if it's supposed to embrace like every, um, you know, part of human life in one way or another, then we have to be forced to think about things that are one of extreme value and importance to us, like pets, um, but two are very difficult. One of my favorite definitions, uh, James Joyce, actually, I think it's in Finnegan's Wake. Uh, his definition of uh, Catholicism was "Here comes everybody," um, <laughs> which is kind of the, it's a very vagabond, varied group. And I think uh, Manhattan would be one of the best places to see the here comes everybody definition of Catholicism. That's interesting. Um, well, and also, like, there's so many, there's so, I also thought, like, you know, you were either in or out in Catholicism, but there's so much room for mistakes, actually, yeah. that um, that I totally, as an outsider, uh, did not understand that there was sort of room for human fallibility. Yeah, and I had to, in a, in a similar way to what you've expressed, I mean, even as a Catholic, I went through a certain transformation. When I was on the papal staff, you know, I had this kind of, like, extreme reverence for whoever the Pope was that, you know, you just had to respect everything. And then the longer I worked there, and especially I was there when Pope Francis was elected, um, I would season a little bit over several years of work for Pope Benedict. And I started to realize, you know, wait, I can, like, I can disagree with the Pope and I was writing for him, you know, I could say, I think you should say this. He probably doesn't agree, um, but I think you yeah. should say this or that. So there's a humanity that's behind the white cassock, you know, that he wears. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that helped even develop a deeper reverence because there's a certain empathy that came, you know, for for anyone who has to carry that role. Has mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to authoritatively and accept what the church you know teaches but yet behind that is someone who holds opinions who makes mistakes who sometimes big mistakes you know who uh regrets mistakes who uh, comes with all kinds of baggage you know that all of us do so for me to get that kind of view of of the pope whoever happens to be the pope was a uh, it helped my maturation it helped my maturation from you know somewhat of a naive catholic view of well you just take whatever the Pope says and like like it or not, you know, he's the one in charge. Um, yeah. I wonder I wonder if anybody in the aftermath of this has sent him a sent him a hamster. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That wouldn't be a bad thing. Um, he would find ways of passing it off on like the uh, the the sisters who take care of him or something like that. But <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised because I saw lots of gifts that the Pope's get and I never saw a pet, now that you mention it, that's interesting. Uh, someone giving a, um, well, I have to think anyway. I, yeah, I, but, but yeah, you don't really yeah. think about the Pope cuddling with a gold, gold doodle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, maybe uh, maybe he should, he's the kind of person who would say, if somebody actually whom he respects would say, you know, Pope, I don't really like what you said. I think, here, take um, take Max for, you know, <laughs> for six months or so, four weeks or whatever, and, and please, and, and maybe, and so I, I could see, and I would see him saying, oh yeah, you know, you're right, I actually should do that, because oh. I've never, I've never had that before, and, and then maybe he would speak, maybe he wouldn't change his opinion, but he would think twice before 
speaking in the, the way that he did in that general audience. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe, I'm maybe. Not saying he, that with respect. I'm not saying that I, I think that he spoke wrongly or he should have said. I'm just saying that, yeah. that that's where the humanity comes out is that, you know, the more experience one has, the more one realizes that when they say something, especially with that kind of authority behind it, that they have to be very careful about how it can be um, interpreted. I wanted to offer special thanks to our longtime client, Heather Frazier, who just gave a generous donation to our scholarship fund. You can learn more about the scholarship fund at schoolforthedogs.com slash fund. We use money from the fund to help people with rescue dogs who uh, are in financial need to access good dog training with the goal of keeping dogs from being relinquished to shelters for behavioral reasons. Heather writes, Mac got fired from three different dog walkers in New York City because of his isolation, distress, and hurting behaviors when he feared people were leaving him. It was thanks to you and the team at School for the Dogs that helped me understand how to work with him using positive reinforcement to give him a reliable routine that decreased his stress, as well as enough mental stimulation to keep him challenged and always learning. We're an inseparable pair, and now a family with two other humans and another doggo because of it. I've used the tools I learned from your team with Mac with our newest puppy, Bella, in order to set our relationship up for success, giving someone that can't afford it the opportunity to learn the tools they need to build a successful and meaningful relationship with their dog is an opportunity I couldn't pass up. It makes us all better humans with animals, and it also decreases the chance of another dog ending up in a shelter. We are currently offering a mosaic tile to everyone who contributes to the fund at the $100 level or above. The tile is going in a beautiful mosaic created by Jim Power, aka the Mosaic Man of the East Village Mosaic Trail. Some of our students are on a lamppost that he mosaiced, I guess is the word, on St. Mark's Place and 3rd Avenue, and we were honored to have him make a custom one in our studio above the stairwell at our school on East 7th and 1st Avenue. It is nearly complete, but there are a handful of spots left if you would like to donate $100 or more and have a photo of a dog you love in the mosaic. Visit schoolforthedogs.com slash mosaic. Thank you so much for listening. And special thanks to Bill and Lizzie of Toast Garden for the amazing theme song. You can find Toast Garden at youtube.com slash toastgarden. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping at storeforthedogs.com. And you can learn more about us at schoolforthedogs.com. You can also connect with other listeners by downloading our brand new app, to visit schoolforthedogs.com slash community.